Welcome to episode 254 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. Yesterday, BC Hydro, the electric utility owned by the British Columbia government, released its 10-year capital plan. That doesn't sound very exciting, does it? But the document opened with these words. We are in the midst of an energy transition here in BC and across the globe. BC Hydro's plan is meant to help electrify provincial transportation, buildings, and industry. Heck, I was electrified just reading it. In part because BC Hydro's new strategy raises the possibility of a project I have long believed in, integrating Canada's western provinces, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, into an east-west electricity market, Right now, the bulk of, mar of electricity that is traded uh, from those four provinces is north-south. There's very little, uh, not much that's traded east-west. And that would enable the two hydro provinces, BC and Manitoba, to work together with the two provinces, Alberta and Saskatchewan, that have Canada's best wind and solar resources. So to talk about this idea, I'm joined by energy economist Dave Gray, who joins us from balmy Edmonton. Hey, how's it going, Markham? Good. I, well, I need to ask you that question, man, because uh, you were the Edmonton. I think was the coldest place on the planet on the weekend. I minus fifty seven C with wind chill, and I'm glad to see that you are not a popsicle today. Well, there's two things. First is I spent uh, much of my career in the Arctic, so it doesn't seem that bad. Uh, and the nice thing about 40 below is it makes 20 below seem just wonderful. That's why I said balmy Edmonton. You've warmed up to 20 below and uh, congratulations. Um, well, look, let's talk about this. And and, and uh, you were chatting about it on social media. And you mentioned that in 2014, you went to a conference and you raised this issue. And mm -hmm. so you've clearly put some thought into how th this uh, east-west electricity market between the four provinces could work. Why don't you describe your idea? Well, the reason we have any interconnection at all between the province is, um, or the, between Alberta and British Columbia, is that there used to be a trade in nighttime coal power with uh, daytime hydro that made sense for both public utilities. The public utility nature and the separate provincial jurisdictions is really the reason we have such extreme silos in Western Canada between our electricity grids. Um, and in that one instance where it made sense, they built a relatively modest sized interconnection. Um, I think it's notionally sized at 1200 megawatts, but we hardly use it to that anymore because we can't afford uh, in terms of system stability for that much load to fall off at once. But it makes eminent sense, as you said, for a wind power area to connect with a hydropower area because they both benefit. Um, the hydropower area benefits from the very, very low cost of wind power, like it's a, a quarter of the cost of hydropower. Uh, and the hydro uh, benefits by having uh, more flexibility to keep water behind the dams and to manage your low water years. It really works out as an ideal solution for both of them. 
Uh, and it also solves another problem we have in Alberta, which is that we've got these white elephant HVDC transmission lines from nowhere to nowhere uh, that were notionally designed to export power to Nevada, um, but have ended up just being a $4 billion blot on our rate base. So the, the notion of interconnecting BC and Alberta makes perfect sense uses stuff that we're underutilizing and it would make uh, eminent sense. And I was laughed out of the room because of the constitution. Oh, please. I, I had a question about, um, uh, but your, your comment about the constitution chased it out of my head. So please do tell that story. Every province has jurisdiction over energy in total in the Canadian constitution and in history and practice, right? They're, each one of them is their own damn planet, every utility jurisdiction. Um, and so one of the notions that I have is the federal government could play a role with its piggy bank that it's already offered uh, to establish not just uh, interconnections between the provinces, but an overall export corporation uh, that creates a market for us to ship green power to the United States. Um, because I don't think people have really internalized the notion that we need to triple the amount of energy going through the electricity grid in the next 20 years. Um, and there's an enormous opportunity for us, if we seize the initiative, to be a good part of the supply for our North American neighbor. Yeah, that's that's why I was excited about BC's recent announcement, because it's a, an opportunity to revive a conversation that has taken place occasionally. Uh, and in 2018, I came across a 2018 federal discussion paper. Mm -hmm called Regional Electricity Cooperation and Strategic Infrastructure, Western Region Summary for Policymakers. You know, federal bureaucrats just have a way with words, don't they? Uh, you know? In both official languages, yes. In both official languages, but I only speak one of them. So we're gonna get, oh, everybody gets the English version today. Um, so the point here is, I mean, you know, the federal government got this six years ago mm. and, and, and developed 11 scenarios that had all sorts of different ways to uh, to shuffle the deck and put in new infrastructure, use it differently, and so on, to kind of get to where the, the scenario we're talking about. And what, what was the objection, I guess, so the objection to your idea of a federal crown corporation, which by the way, didn't make it into any of these scenarios, uh, is, is simply that the federal government doesn't have the constitutional jurisdiction to do that. Which uh, is no, the federal it, it was that you the, the federal government could play no role in having that interconnection. At that point, to be honest, I don't think I had thought of the notion of the feds having a crown export corporation. Uh, but to my mind, that's kind of the piece that could make it all work. Uh, we have the problem that we're dealing with regulated utilities in uh, three of the provinces uh, and then Alberta's Wild West. And so the, the smart way to integrate those would be to have an overall uh, market that everyone could feed into, uh, market or portal or whatever you want to call it. 
but it's the notion that on top of your provincial grid, you've got an ability for people to independently produce uh, or create power plants and then sell into them. And the reason I think that's important is it gets the volume of trade sufficient to justify all these things. Um, the the interties between Alberta and British Columbia that would be used to swap power back and forth between wind and um, uh, and hydro aren't going to be in use all the time, right? Back and forth is not a steady stream of, of revenue. But if you've got exports that are feeding in from everywhere on top of that and then going out, that's a consistent stream of electrons flowing through and therefore revenue to support it all. Uh, so that's why I came to the conclusion that would be a, a good way for it all to fit together and for us to include not just Saskatchewan, but the NWT. Which is the Northwest Territories. Uh, I'll remind you that we do have non-Canadian listeners. So, I, uh, you, okay. Yes. So Well, I'm not sure that the uh, they speak French. Uh, they may, they may not. But uh, they certainly probably they're probably not familiar with acronyms and uh, like. I do mean the Northwest Territories. Yes, we do so. the 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 territory that is north of uh, of Alberta. So look, um, explain to me because I'm having a little trouble imagining. Oh, and 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 let's set some context here for our non-Canadian uh, listeners. The you mentioned already that the every province regulates its its own. Um, electricity system three of the four provinces in question here have government-owned utilities uh, bc hydro sask power and manitoba hydro uh, my former employer i might add mm -hmm. uh, back in the day um and what happens is that they just you know they trade a little bit a little bit be between themselves but most of the trade goes between the two hydro provinces bc and uh in manitoba and it goes north and south and and not much east east and west and so how then because uh, i'm having a little trouble imagining this how does the the federal crown corporation to manage exports how does how do you layer it onto that system uh the way i would do it is have them come in and um buy the um, uh, equipment necessary to spread the uh, HVDC grid start that we've got uh, from Saskatchewan and or Saskatchewan and Manitoba to Alberta and uh, then to British Columbia with an export office in Calgary that manages the flow of trade down through an HVDC DC line to Nevada. Uh, so uh, the notion would be they would own that physical plant and uh, have the corporation to which people can sell power for export or arrange power for export through uh, over top of the regulated distribution and transmission systems that are already there. So if I understand this correctly, the this federal crown corporation has a contract with the various entities involved to buy mm -hmm. electricity at X price, however it gets priced, it then it has built infrastructure that allows it to ship electricity east and west and north and south. And it's mm -hmm. it then sells that electricity uh, for the best price that it can. 
uh, yeah, it sells itself. If you think of the grain export um, agency, uh, apply that to power, right? Same sort of deal. The Canadian, uh, the Canadian wheat board for our uh, anybody who wants to Google. There you go. Um, and so I think that works because it can leave all of the different utilities that are pre-existing in place. Um, it would give them the option to draw from that power market if they wanted to, or if they needed to. Um, and it would, um, you know, basically just need an agreement as a, a feed-in tariff of the conditions under which people can con connect to, say, ATCO's distribution system and sell to the export corporation. One of the problems that we've got in the, in Western Canada is that the, um, as you alluded to, and I've, I've interviewed uh, economic modelers like uh, Chris, Dr. Chris Bataille, uh, who say that that economies uh, in North America and Europe, the, the OECD economies, are going to require two to three times as much electricity uh, as they currently generate by 2050 in order to electrify all of the things that I, you know, the list basically that I I, I read during the introduction that BC Hydro is going to or BC is going to electrify. Right. That takes a lot of power, and mm -hmm. and so it's. Uh, the West basically has, and I, I, when I say the West, Alberta's had a lot of problems, and you and I have done interviews about the problems in Alberta already, because it doesn't have a crown utility; it has a wholesale market. It, it, it's a very, it's very different than the other three provinces. Nevertheless, the, uh, the BC, for example, has thirty hydro dams. It's building one more that'll be finished, I think, in twenty twenty five. Site C, highly controversial. Uh, but it's only like 1,100 megawatts of capacity. It'll add, I don't know, three, four, five percent of more generating capacity in BC. Manit and, and they're not going to build another hydro dam after that. That's the end of it. They're done with hydro dams. Manitoba does have some uh, remaining capacity left on the Nelson River uh, in northern Manitoba, which that's my my father worked uh, for at Kettle Rapids, which was the mm -hmm. first dam on the Nelson River. And I worked when in high school and a year after high school on the converter station, uh, which is called Radisson, this for anybody who cares. Uh, but the, the point here is that there is some little capacity or some amount of capacity left to build dams on the Nelson River, but not, it's not infinite. It's not, Manitoba does not have the hydro resources that say Quebec has. So Alberta and Saskatchewan have none of that. Saskatchewan's still mostly coal, tra transitioning to some gas. Alberta has, what, 14% renewables, and the rest is gas and 17% coal. And somehow, they have to double or triple the amount of electricity available to, to their economies. And where is it going to come from? Uh, there just aren't a lot of options. And wind and solar would seem to be the most reasonable, lowest cost, easy to... Uh, to build on a, uh, you know, on a timescale, not like a hydro dam or a nuclear plant. Um, and the only way to make that work is the kind of arrangement, I mean, or to work efficiently and, and at low cost, is the kind of arrangement we're talking about. Um, the beauty of having um, export is it allows you to deal with the variability of wind in particular, which is our greatest resource. Um, in um, in such a way that it doesn't affect anything else, right? That it's 
it can do its own thing and it doesn't bother anybody. Hydro planning and engineering in the Canadian utility system has always been really, really, really conservative. So here's their formula. The formula is if we need 1100 megawatts, we are going to ensure that at the lowest flow of that river that we've ever seen in a hundred years or 500 years is what we're gonna rate that at. And so they often uh, put in far less uh, capacity than they can, than they could for the water flow uh, because they're worried about energy. The, when you look at hydro in terms of energy, you get to that formula that I just mentioned. Uh, that you always want to have enough energy. So you, you're going to run the thing very, very, very conservatively. When you've got it blended with wind, uh, you get the advantage that you can uh, store water behind your dam and let wind, when it's available, displace it all. Um, what they haven't done is to increase any of the capacity of these hydro plants so that you can be more flexible in terms of using them as storage that way. So uh, if they're not going to build any more dams in BC, they may want to consider adding extra turbines and plants where they can to make it work. point out that is part of their capital plan. Uh, they don't they don't provide a lot of detail at this point, but they do say that they there's a I, I forget the amount is five billion or fourteen billion that's dedicated to refurbishing existing assets. And because <laughs> the way they're going to do it in BC is uh, where independent power producers selling to BC Hydro was hugely controversial uh, over the last twenty years, uh, but they're going back to it. Uh, mm -hmm. BC Hydro is going to contract with both First Nations. Mm -hmm. And with the uh, the companies, the the IPPs, and then they're and they're going to contract for wind and wind and solar. So it, I think that they're going to do what you suggested, Dave, and that is increase their capacity so they can do the very thing uh, that we're talking about. And really, what we're suggesting is put in more interties and and have more wind and solar. Some of it available from Alberta. Some of it available from Alberta, some of it available from the Northwest Territories. So right. when you talked about Western Canada running out of hydro sites, that's only north, uh, south of 60. And north of 60, there's 100,000 megawatts of hydro potential. Now, I didn't know that. And um, the so tell us a little bit more about that, if you will. So my first job was as load forecaster and economist for NWT Power. Uh, which uh, had a number of hydro sites and had studied many hydro sites. So in the cold winter's nights in Hay River, uh, the lead hydro engineer and I cataloged them all and went through looking at all of the potential from Great Bear Lake um, to uh, Liard River. Uh, there are many, many, many wild rivers with large drop-offs that could be turned into conventional hydro dams. What's really exciting is if you get to the east arm of the Great Slave Lake, um, there are these 600 foot cliffs. If you had a pump storage site on the top of one of these cliffs, you would never see it. <laughs> I mean, you could get the inlets and outlets underwater and basically have an unlimited amount of pump storage 
an east arm of the Great Slope. Well, that's that's interesting. I didn't know that. Okay, so that adds another wrinkle to this to this conversation. And the part of the problem here is that now we've got four provinces and 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 a ter uh, territory, and they need to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And I am told. Uh, because I haven't reported on this in person, but I am told that the biggest impediment over the years has not been engineering. It's not technical. It's political. That's right. Politicians don't want to talk to each other about this, and there's just there's just no interest. And any light you can shed on that issue? Uh, it's difficult for all four provinces to coincidentally have progressive governments. Um, but that's what's needed is somebody that has the vision to say, hey, here's an opportunity for us to create a new revenue stream for future generations. Why don't we do it like somebody did before us? Right? <laughs> and what's the, what the irony is that very often the, uh, the, uh, the hydro utilities and all of those dams were built under conservative governments. Well, and built very conservatively, as I just said. Yeah, and Manitoba yeah, exactly. Hydro, if they were playing with wind, should do exactly the same thing as BC is doing. Exactly right. And ironies abound in this in this conversation. Sure. So, and the problem now, of course, is that we've got to a point where the Alberta and Saskatchewan governments they're they're pursuing populist cons. Uh, conservative populist political strategies, which means that they want to fight with every province that doesn't agree with them. And, the, and, and but most particularly, the federal government, which is run by, which is uh, formed at this point by the, uh, the federal liberals under Justin Trudeau. And, and it's just become, uh, these kind of conversations are almost impossible, you know, to have a civil conversation. Uh, not because I don't think the federal government or BC, maybe even Manitoba now, would, would don't want it. It's, it's Alberta and Saskatchewan that uh, that don't. They're they're very obstreperous. So the I guess this is part of my my argument here is that BC taking recognizing the energy transition as explicitly as it does. And recognizing that electrification of the economy is the energy transition strategy now gives uh, us an opportunity to open a conversation about this project in a way that we maybe didn't have before. And if you can, you know, it's like Ralph, former Alberta Premier Ralph Klein used to say, who was very much a populist himself, he used to say, look, politicians don't, don't uh, lead, they, they find a parade and they get in front of it. And so if you want to get anything done these days, you almost, you know, citizens need to need to create a parade so that the politicians can get in front of it. And 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 so we need to have more conversations like this. Um, yes, I, I. So you're saying that what we need to do is to beat the drum on this. Well, I've been at it for a while now. <laughs> well, hey, now you got another megaphone uh, to join your voice. I guess I would say is that, yes, I would, I would love some help. Okay. I, well, I think I, it's a perfectly logical idea and obviously so do the BC hydro engineers. I think it's instructive for people in Alberta to look at what BC is doing uh, as an indicator of what every other place in the planet that doesn't have oil wells is doing, right? They're leaving us behind. 
There is uh, an issue that uh, is not on the radar in Alberta. In fact, it's been, and, and, or Saskatchewan, it's been explicitly rejected by those two provinces, which is that the world is electrifying and it's moving towards clean electricity, primarily from solar and wind. That's like 96% of new generation capacity additions, according to the International Energy Agency. And the, the, uh, if you want to build industry in the future, you need to have clean, low-cost, reliable electricity. And if you don't have, I can't tell you how many uh, international experts I've asked this question of, and they always say that's that's table stakes in the new economy. If mm. you don't have it, if you don't have it, you are not going to get cap capital is not going to flow because you now become part of a supply chain in which your emissions, your high emissions intensity counts against their final product. Mm -hmm. and And they're very sensitive about that. So you have to be clean right from the get-go. And I think BC has got that message. I think certainly I've, I've heard the federal government, and Quebec certainly gets that message. Alberta and Saskatchewan have not got that message. But that idea of clean electricity as a competitive advantage, I, you know, needs to be, we need another drum for that one. We have more nostalgia for coal here than they do in Kentucky. Uh, un unfortunately, this has become an area of identity politics where people that don't know they're, you know, asked from a hole in the ground are taken very seriously. Um, and it's really unfortunate. Alberta, uh, electricity is just complicated enough that it's difficult for even intelligent people to get all the nuances of it and in that environment it's very easy for simple solutions to seem to be the appropriate ones and they or, rarely are right or or opposition to to good ideas uh, so the I'm, I'm curious now about i want to go back to this idea of the federal federal crown corporation because mm -hmm. in a sense assuming that you know, it didn't set off a civil war in Alberta. Um, uh, what would the federal government, what would that crown corporation, how would it proceed? What infrastructure would it buy? What infrastructure would it have to build? And how might it, I, I know you've talked mostly about BC and, and, and Alberta, but how, what might it have to, what, what does it have to do so that it could trade amongst all four provinces? So right in the middle of it all in Alberta, we have two um, high voltage DC lines uh, with inverter stations in north central Alberta, um, east and west, and southern Alberta, east and west. Um, so the logical thing would be to connect everything through those HVDC lines because then you don't have issues with synchronization or anything else. If the federal government came in and gave the line, uh, the, the money needed to build lines north and south between British Columbia and Alberta, uh, and then uh, probably just south connecting us to Saskatchewan, uh, there's already some transmission being built between Saskatchewan and Manitoba, and they're synchronized. Um, that would be all we'd need on our side of the border. On the other side of the border, you'd need uh, lines to some connection point, probably Barstow. Uh, or um, somewhere in Nevada, I'm thinking. 
was where they were planning this when they were thinking it was going to be co-generated um, steam coming from the oil sands that was going to send power south. But it would be that amount of line and then the commercial contracts between all the parties, right? So somebody needs to be the, the contractual middleman. And that's where I envision that Federal Crown Corporation being. And, and it should be pointed out that the federal the federal government has raised this issue already and has money, has billions of dollars available to to, to finance interties between the between mm -hmm. the provinces. And they've very specifically mentioned, though diplomatically, because they know how politically sensitive it is, they, you know, this sort of idea that we're talking about. And so the it seems like the federal government is already committed to the idea, has put the money in place. And really now what it needs is some kind of political consensus so that it would feel comfortable moving in here and doing uh, a, a project could be your federal crown corporation. Maybe they come up with some other wrinkle, who knows. But they, but it's that political consensus that is is the uh, the spark we need to get the, uh, the fire going. Yeah, I mean, I think that the federal government is probably in a pretty good position with Biden to say, hey, you know, you canceled a pipeline. Can we have a transmission line <laughs> for green energy? I mean, you can't complain about that. Come on. Uh, you know, like it's uh, a lot of things need to change in order for the political will to happen. But um, I mean, our choices are either we get ahead of it or we get crushed by it. Um well, here's that. another point, and that is uh, Alberta has a tremendous amount of industry, heavy industry, miners mm -hmm. and upgraders and and uh, petrochemical plants and and uh, manufacturing industry. Uh, it's not really well known outside of, of, of uh, Alberta just how much industry there is in the province. And then, of course, you got the oil sands up, up mm -hmm. uh, in northern Alberta. And resisting the move to clean electricity at some point i can't believe oh i should i wanted to point out too that like 86 percent of all electricity consumed in alberta is by in uh, uh industry commercial and and, and business it, it's only 14 or 16 percent that goes to resident to residential so really what we're talking about here we're not talking the the issue uh isn't uh you know your right. house it's all, you know, you live in Edmonton, so it's not your house. It's all of the, the petrochemical plants and the refineries and so on that surround Edmonton. And, and so it seems to me at some point, and I'm, I'm shocked that it hasn't happened already, those industrial leaders are should be going to the premier and saying, our emission intensity matters. And our customers are going to either, they're either they're demanding it now or they very soon will be. And we need to plan for that. And so where are you going to, you know, Premier Danielle Smith, where are you going to come up with all the clean electricity that we're going to need? Instead, the government keeps talking about more natural gas, but, you know, it's a natural gas province, blah, 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 uh, all of those tired old tropes. Um, so anyway, uh, I don't know what that I just added to the conversation, except it's, that. I'm not sure that they have much of a clamor for manufacturing. Uh, I mean, it's. So here's how bad it is in um, in Alberta. The business community knows so little about what's going on with the electricity sector 
that they didn't realize that they've been being price gouged for the last three years <laughs> with you know 500% increases in prices because of the cozy arrangement that was worked out with the generators. There's a problem that the business community in Alberta needs to wake up to the broader world, uh, let alone what's going on inside the province, right? It, it is not gonna serve us well. And my worst fear is that the scenario you laid out, which is that actually demand for oil collapses below the price that we can have an oil industry. If the, if the price of oil goes to 20 bucks, it's as, as bad for us as if um, we just stopped using oil, right? Uh, our province becomes Saskatchewan with bad agriculture <laughs> and good skiing, right? Like it's, it would be catastrophic in a way that, uh, you know, is like, Oklahoma Dust Bowl catastrophic. And uh, I've been spending the last couple of weeks uh, going over reports like the International Energy Agency and Bloomberg and, and others uh, talking about what's going on with renewables globally. And and it's it's very clear uh, that, uh, you know, I've looked at the, the OPEX World Oil Outlook 2045 that got released in mm -hmm. October, November, whatever it was. And they have uh, they that report forecasts uh, the growth in oil demand to 116 million barrels a day by 2045 from the current mm -hmm. 102 million barrels a day. And no sooner was that out, like a month later, two months later, than Sinopec, the the the, the biggest uh, state refiner, the biggest refiner in China, owned mm -hmm. by the Chinese government, so they're essentially speaking for the, the Chinese government announced that peak oil demand in China would happen as early as 2026, no later than 2030. And by the way, OPEC in, in World Oil Outlook 2045 forecast 4 million barrels a day of growth in China by 24. How do you miss that? How do, as a modeler, do you miss that, that change? That's a sea change. It's a huge, and from my point of view, it, it's a huge black eye on the report and on the forecasting. I, I don't know how you believe anything, at, at, you know, any of their assumptions at that point. So, but that it's the OPEC narrative that the federal, that the provincial government follows, and as does much of the business community in Alberta. Oh, don't worry about it. We got lots of time. We got decades, man, before we have to worry about falling oil prices. And there's only a limited window of opportunity here to get this done. And 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 there has to be whatever strategy comes forward. And I I advocate using bitumen to make advanced materials like carbon fiber, but you've got to have clean electricity to do that. If you don't, it, nothing works. And the window, I'm afraid, is going to slam shut on Alberta before it can figure out a strategy and clean up its power grid and do all the things. That doesn't take. That hasn't happened next year or the year after. It takes. It's a good decade probably closer to two, to get it all done. What infuriates me is no one should claim to know the future. There are no facts about the future. The worst case is we have no more oil revenue in 10 years. The best case, we have no more oil revenue in a century. Um, we need to hedge our bets. <laughs> and that's the thing that I find just so frustrating with oil and gas industry guys that I know understand hedging, 
<laughs> I know under that that would understand if you're making a strategic uh, consideration that you look at what are the possible outcomes and try and find a strategy that works on all of them. But here it's no, no, we, we have this one horse and we're just going to ride this one horse and you're a trader if you talk about another horse. Like oil and gas compete with electricity, right? It's, it's well, infuriating, I, 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 just I, infuriating. Our mothers told us, hope for the best, plan for the worst. Alberta plans for the best and has no plan B, has no plan whatsoever for the worst. And and I asked I asked uh, Premier Danielle Smith in a press conference back in September, you know, do you have a plan B? Like, what happens if you know the future that OPEC envisions that you've bought into uh, turns out not to be the case? What's your plan B? And she just, you know, it essentially ignored the question and went on and gave me you know two minutes of blather that that meant nothing. And and I think that is essentially a metaphor for most of the business community in, in Alberta. And so now we've gone from talking about BC Hydro's capital plan to a, a, a trading between four provinces, trading electricity to enable uh, wind and solar in Alberta and Saskatchewan to make better use of the, of, uh, of the hydro electricity that's produced. And now we've got the bigger, the bigger picture that that electricity system plugs into and why it's important. And I think that's that's really that's that's the argument that Alberta has to embrace at some point, or it is just going to get steamrolled by by uh, by the US and China and Europe. Yes, that's the worst case scenario is that history leaves us behind. We're Saskatchewan with bad agriculture. And every investment that's been made here by everyone in every sector is out the window. Um, and so that's why I don't understand, even if the oil industry were to survive for another 100 years, why we would want to stop the progress of developing these other resources, because maybe they both go at the same time. They're not combative. They can both be successful, and if only one's successful, great. We've at least got one success, <laughs> right? But no, it's 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 all in on black, man, and I just don't get it. Yes, it's a it's Russian roulette is what it is. Look, before we wrap up our conversation, Dave, I have one question that I meant to ask you earlier, but it just popped into my head, and that is um, – uh, University of Calgary economist Kent Fellows did a study three, four years ago, and he looked at Site C, which has, has had enormous cost overruns. Mm -hmm. the, the, the best guess now is that it's going to Site C will produce a megawatt hour of electricity for like 150 bucks, yeah, which is like three times you know what it what you could do it for you no know, four times for wind and solar. It's just ridiculous. And and Kent came to the conclusion that the only thing that made Site C feasible, economic, would be using it as storage for, for wind and solar. Because a megawatt hour of hydroelectricity used that way has a higher value than if you're just, you know, selling it. Well, to you me. can use it again and again and again. Uh, and it goes back to what I was saying about the way that hydro engineers think. 
they only think about running the water through the dam and that's your resource and uh, that's the energy you need. So you have to do it this way, as opposed to this thing is a machine and you can uh, treat it as a storage device if you just change your thinking. Yeah, exactly right. And I guess the point I'm getting at is that we're not maximizing the assets, the value of the assets we have. Uh, and this, what we're talking about is would lower the cost of electricity uh, while cleaning up the Alberta power grid and provide more value for for uh, BC ratepayers. Uh, yep. You know, it just is makes a lot of sense all the way around. It's win 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 win. Um, the only problem with going to a regulator and proving that this is going to work is that the regulators are very conservative. They're only concerned with their jurisdiction. Um, and um, they, when you look at trying to put a regulated tariff on an asset that's used flexibly, like these transmission lines would be, it's very difficult to get the economic value out of them in any way that doesn't create a, you know, a staggering high tariff. Um, so that's why the idea of on top of that layering a, a you know a, an ability for independent power to feed in for export really appeals to me is getting a lot of throughput through those regulated assets. Well, my my takeaway from this, Dave, is that we need to have the conversation. Out of the conversation will come the technical work to deal with how okay, how are we going to structure this? You know, if we're going to use a federal crown corporation, what does that look like? What does it do? What infrastructure needs to be built? What's it going to cost? What are the timelines? We, you know, what we need to we need to start but just by talking about it. So we've done that today uh, for 45 minutes. And uh, I, I fascinating conversation from my point of view. <clears throat> Excuse me. Frustrating at the same time, because mm -hmm. you can see that the potential for higher value and all sorts of benefits that we're, we're uh, potentially missing. Uh, but nevertheless, maybe this is how we, we start the conversation. So thank you very much for this. Thanks for having me on, Markham.